Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. So today, as we've looked at all these, these items, we, we come to the last thing which is men- mentioned, which is the sword of the Spirit. And so, in order to keep the flow of the text, let us um, once again read from verse 10, and we'll read down to verse 18 of chapter 6. And if you're at chapter 6, verse 10, I'll, I'll be grateful if you said amen. 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 Verse 10 of chapter 6 says, Finally... My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. In verse 17, the Apostle Paul straight away defines the the sword of the spirit as being the word of God. It says... And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And the word sword here in the Greek um, is the Greek word makaira, which means short sword. And this particular sword was designed specifically for close combat. And so this specific sword was, was used for being both offensive and defensive. And so this sword, you know, it had the potential to be a powerful weapon in the hand of a soldier because a soldier would have to be skilled and a soldier would have to be precise in order to inflict a deadly wound to his enemy. But in order to be precise, in to, to inflict a deadly wound, this would mean that It was dependent on the time, the effort, and the practice that the soldier was willing to put into using his sword. Obviously, the more time, the more effort, and the more practice, the more effective he would be. And so, as I I hope as I'm saying these things, you start to get this spiritual parallel here. The more time, the more effort, the more practice the soldier was willing to put into using his sword the more effective he would be 
And as a side note, we saw how the, 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 the belt of truth had a strap which went around it, and that's what the sword would have been, been attached to. And we looked at a, a couple of weeks ago how the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit are so co- closely connected because as you wield the sword, you're wielding truth. And the sword of the spirit being tucked away in the belt of truth. You see, a soldier would need to, need to know how to quickly tuck away his sword, but then be ready to use it at any given, if, any given moment. And so a soldier had to be skillful. He had to be precise. And this is exactly what God expects from us, his children. He wants us to be skillful. He wants us to be precise with how we handle his word. Skillful because it says here it's the sword of the spirit. Jesus said a very interesting thing in John chapter 6. He says, it is the spirit who gives life. The, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So the words are spirit and life. And we know that the word was made manifest and dwelt amongst us. And we know that, you know, God, you know, desires that we would worship him in spirit and in truth because God is spirit. And so we look at this and we see how the Godhead is just so connected. And God expects us, likewise, to be connected to him because we are his children. He wants us to be familiar with his word. He wants us to be in tune with his spirit so that we can draw our sword and we can use it in the power of his spirit. And so, in a defensive manner, as I said, it was both used for defensively and offensively. In a defensive manner, the sword was used to effectively know how to deflect the enemy's attacks. And I don't know if you, you know, maybe in lads' films, you know, the 300 or Troy. I said to the earlier crowd, you know, if you remember Errol Flynn. Some of you old cats know Errol Flynn. But, you know, when Errol, it wasn't just sort of like stabbing and attacking. It was like defending, block, 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 attack, block, 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 attack. Did you like that? Block, 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 attack. I don't know what you do if you're left-handed. But, you see, we have to use the word skillfully. Both to defend and both to attack. And when the devil comes, as he does to all of us, in one of three areas or a combination of three of these areas or all of them at the same time with the the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life, you better have a scripture which can defend that. You got to know your word so you know how to block it. So the fact of the matter is, what Paul's saying is, we need to know our word. We need to know portions of scripture, 
We need to know specific verses or just know a verse. Maybe a verse will just hold you in the battle you're in. Maybe you don't know anything about God's word, but you know one verse. And in this situation, I can stand on that verse. But you need to know something. You see, the fact of the matter is, when we became Christians, we just didn't know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It wasn't just deposited into your psyche. To know the Bible takes work, takes effort. It takes being skillful in knowing how to use your sword. The more time, the more effort you put into using your sword, the more effective you will be. And so you may just know a verse, and that's good. Praise the Lord. And that's what Peter says. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Not that you can stay as a baby, but that you can grow. And I think it's Hebrews which goes on to say, strong meat belongs to the mature. You see, you don't give meat to a baby. But God doesn't expect us to stay babies. He wants us to know how to handle his word. And so God expects that as we appropriate his sword, we will know how to handle his word so that we can use it defensively. Right. An example of how to use God's defensively, word defensively, and we see it in Matthew 4. You don't have to turn there, but you all know the picture. Jesus is in the wilderness and Satan comes to him to tempt him. And after each temptation, the, the Lord Jesus used the word defensively by literally quoting the exact scripture to combat the specific temptation. And Jesus says, it is written. Now, when we're going through stuff, we try to sort of like rationalize it and everything and work it all out. But we don't say, you know what? My Bible says I can stand on this truth here. And you know what? It is written. And that's what we need to do. Stand on God's word. Using the word in a defensive sense. But using God's word on the defensive is all dependent on our knowledge of the word. And so, what does this mean? This means that some of us will need to actively begin to memorize verses or a verse or portions of scripture. You know, Hebrew children, when they were doing their bar, bar mitzvah, they would, have to, they would have to memorize portions of scripture. Even, you know, if you look into the Old Testament, you know, even the Psalms, they were written in a way where, you know, they could be memorized. And that's how they were handed down through families, memorizing portions of scripture. And so maybe some of us might have to start meditating and, and repeating over and over again a verse, a portion of scripture. 
Maybe some of us might need to delight ourselves in the law of the Lord. And in his law, we meditate day and night. Psalm 1. This may mean that some of us will have to study the word to show ourselves approved. A workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, there's a right way to divide the word and there's a wrong way to divide it. Taking it completely out of context, wrong way. Keeping it within its context and keeping it within the thought of which it was written is the right way. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So I'm saying all these things and it's hard work. Most of us would prefer to watch Corrie or EastEnders. But this has eternal weight and eternal value. Some of us are going to have to be like Bereans, Acts 17. You know, I'm here preaching. Don't take what I have to say for gospel. Go home and seek it out for yourself. It says the Bereans were, were considered more, more honorable, more noteworthy because they, they went away and studied the scriptures. See if these things were so. Maybe that's what some of us may need to do. You know, and how do we, you know, what help can we get? Well, you know, there are study aids. There's Bible dictionaries. There's commentaries. There's, there's concordances. You know, living in this modern age, we can just go online and download a message. Watch a message. All these things which are at our disposal in order to get the word in. Because that's what we have to do. Get the word in. Some of us may have to just be in fellowship. You're never in fellowship and you wonder why... You know, nobody ever calls you or wonder why you're going through drama. Well, nobody knows what, what's going on in your life. Fellowship. You know, doing these things, they may seem mundane. But doing these things, trust me, having been around the block a few times, it starts to shape you and mold you. You start talking differently thinking differently, acting differently. And that's what the Lord expects. He wants our, uh, his word to get in us so it changes us. And you know, there is no easy route. You know, maybe many of you grew up not really being the greatest of readers. Reading a book is like a chore. But you know, that's what we have to do. And if you can't sit down and read, I mean, again, there's so many ways we can listen to the word. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. So the sword in a, as a defensive weapon knowing how to deflect the enemy's attacks when he comes to your door and says, you're no good, nobody likes you. Do you think Jesus really likes you? Look what you just did. I saw it and God definitely saw it. We have to know how to combat that. 
Okay, well, that's the sword as a defensive weapon. What about as an offensive weapon? Well, how do we practically do that? How do we use God's word as an offensive weapon? Well, we use it practically in evangelism and preaching. Preaching the word of God. You see, the scripture says that Jesus went from village to village and from town to town preaching the word. So, am I saying that we all have to go out on a Friday night with Mike and preach the word in order to use the word of God as as an offensive? No, I'm not saying that at all. Some of us are called to do that. Some of us are called to do evangelism. Some of us are just called to be faithful and just be a light to that person we're working with. with. You may not even quote any scriptures to them, but your life, the way you're conducting your life, speaks volumes. You see, as believers, sometimes we don't do the Lord a favor in a sense that we always want to chuck out scripture. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it it becomes off-putting to the hearer. We want to have somebody's attention. We want to open up their ears so they will hear what you're saying. He who has an ear, let him hear. We want to say things which, you know, is going to resonate. It's going to be real to them. Not that, oh, you're that person who just bludgeons me with scripture all the time. Palatable. Using wisdom. Being wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. You know, using God's word. Taking care of it. So practically, you know, Using God's word as an offensive weapon, in a sense. You know, how, we could do that with our children. If you're, if you're a parent here, sharing the word with your children. Sharing the world, word with your family. Maybe you're, you're the only believer in your family. Maybe it's just finding a way of being Christ-like and just sharing the word with your family. Maybe it's just... Using the word to to share it with those who you come into close contact with. But as we share the word, again, it's dependent on our understanding of the word. It's dependent on our knowledge of the word. You know, because you can share the word, but do you know, if if you're in a conversation with someone and they're talking about evolution, well, do you know what the Bible says about creation? Do you know what the Bible says about life, death, hell? Do you know what the Bible says about eternity? Do you know what the Bible says about money? Do you know what the Bible says about sex, family, morality? Do you know these things? Have you got an answer for these things? You see, 2 Timothy chapter 4 says that we should preach the word, be ready in season. Is it just in season? Be in season and out of season, which means to me, be ready at all times. Be, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. And it says, convince, rebuke, exalt with all long suffering and teaching. Be ready. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, and it's a wonderful um, portion of scripture to memorize, which says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense for everyone, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you 
with meekness and, in, and with fear. Always be ready. See, the Lord expects us to have a handle on his word, to use it both defensively and offensively. Now, the text goes on to say that it is the sword of the spirit. And this means that as we use God's word in battle, the spirit of God is able to wield the word and use it on our behalf. Remember, we're fighting a spiritual fight here. We're quoting scripture. We're using God's word. And, you know, we pray sometimes. I'm not exactly sure what's going on in the spiritual realm. But we know that something's going on. And it says that it is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this is interesting because the Greek word for word here in this verse is not the Greek word logos, which we know means word of God. The general word of God. But the word here is rhema which means the specific word of God. So what is this saying? This is saying that as we prayerfully use the word, as we meditate on it, as we declare the word of God, the spirit of God is there ready to will that specific word in that specific situation. But again, first we have to be familiar with what God's word says about specific situations. It's like if you, if you was an anxious person, it'd be good if you knew the verse and you meditated on the verse in Philippians chapter 4 which says, be anxious for nothing. That would be good for you. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, and what's the outcome? Well, the outcome, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, you're feeling anxious, but you know what? Give it to Jesus. Pray about it. Lay it at his feet. And he says, you know what? I'll give you something which is even going to surpass your understanding. Do you know what? I'm going through this rough, and everything within me says I should be worried and anxious, but God's just given me peace. God's just, I just feel so at peace. You know, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's, he's in prison, but he's in the inner prison of a prison, He's chained up, but he's got peace. He can sing psalms and praises to the Lord to the point where the earth shakes. And, you know, he's loose from his chains. Peace. You know, we go through things. We go through difficulties within life. But God says, even though you're going through that difficulty... There's a peace which I can give you which surpasses understanding. You'll try and work it out with your brain, with your, your mind, but you just don't understand it. But I give it to you. 
And that's a good thing to have. That's a good thing to have when you're going through difficulties. And so what God expects from us is that we will envelop ourselves within his word. That we wouldn't just get into his word, that we would be in tune with the Lord through his word, by his spirit. That as he speaks to us, as we're in tune with him and, and we're, you know, he gives us a word, we can speak life into a situation. You know, maybe some of us have been, in a, you know, speaking to someone and the Lord just gives us a word of, of knowledge or a word of discernment. And it's like we just speak into a situation. And you're like, well, I don't even know how that happened. But God gave it to me. You, you know, it often happens when you're evangelizing. You're speaking to someone, you don't know them at all. And then the Lord just drops a word in your heart, in your spirit, as, however you want to term it. And you could just speak life into the situation. It's like he uses a specific word in that situation. And we have to be open to these things as believers. You see, we have the example of Jesus with the woman at the well. And he spoke a specific word to her. And she went back to the village. Perhaps the whole village got saved on the account that Jesus spoke a specific word to her. And she went back and says, come and see a man who told me all the things I ever did. All right, then, but that, that's Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is, a, Jesus is heavy, so Jesus can do those things. Well, again, what about Paul with this Philippian jailer, which I alluded to before? You know... The, the, the chains had dropped and everything. Paul was like ready to just break out of a jail. And the Philippian jailer starts thinking to himself, oh my goodness, I'm done for. Because that was Roman law. If you allowed prisoners to escape, you were going to die. And so he thought, I might as well just do it now. I'm going to kill myself. And Paul says, no, don't do it. You shall be saved and your household spoke a word, a specific word into that situation. What about Peter and John? Peter and John in the book of Acts, you know, go into the temple, they see this guy, they probably saw him a few times, he, just, he, he, he couldn't walk and everything, and then Peter just says, you know what, look at us. Silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. He gets up and he walks. Specific words into specific situations. Now, am I saying that's going to happen to you once you leave here today? It could happen. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It could well happen. And we need to be open to those things. But equally, we need to be open to the fact that we need to study. We need to be in God's word. We need to know his word. So that we can use the sword of the spirit both defensively and offensively. Now, as I've said as we've been going through this, the armor of God, you know, we just can't be selective. We can't just say, oh yeah, the sword is heavy. I'm just going to use my sword. It's the whole armor. We have to appropriate all of the armor. 
to be effective in warfare. And as we consider the word of God, as we consider the Bible, as we consider, you know, the collection of 66 books, you know, we have to be assured within our own hearts and minds that we believe what it says from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible says some strange things. Bible starts talking about donkeys talking, seas parting, you know, food coming down from heaven. Do you believe that stuff? See, we have to know that the, the, the thing we handle, we consider to be our Bible. And I said to the earlier crowd that I'm biased. I like a bit of leather. I like some paper. I like the paper fluttering. I like to hear it. That's just my personal preference. Do you believe that this collection of 66 books is God's infallible word? Because that's what you have to believe. And so there's, there's eight things which, aspects to God's word, which you may think there's less, you may think there's more. But things to have locked down from point A. The first thing is that God's word is infallible in its sum total, which means that the Bible has no faults. It makes no mistakes. No mistakes within its entirety. Now, we may not totally understand it, but we believe that the Bible is perfect. You know, Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Now, there's not too many things which can convert a soul, but the law of the Lord, it can do it. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. See, the word of God is able to take someone who doesn't know much and just elevate their understanding about life, about the world, about things. Psalm 18 verse 30 says, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. And we looked at this last week. His word is proven. God doesn't have to start saying, oh, I need to prove myself. It's proven. It's sure. He is a shield to all who trust in him. So we look at the word of being, as being infallible. We look at the Bible as being inerrant in its part which means that it's totally without error. Now, there may be many who come to you and say, nah, the Bible, is, it's got errors. It contradicts itself. Well, that might be your Bible. It's not my Bible. My God doesn't contradict himself. He's not a man that he should lie. Psalm 30, verse 5 and 6 says, Every word of God is pure. Again, he is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. He's not going to be found a liar. You will be found a liar if you add to his words. Again, Psalm 12, the, pure, the words of the Lord are pure, like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And if you know anything about numbers within the Bible, numbers, seven is the number of completion. It's complete. 
And that's the next thing we look at. The Bible is complete. Nothing can be added to the word and nothing can be taken away. Revelation 22 says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God would add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in the book. So the Bible is complete. Don't add to it. Don't take anything away. The Bible is authoritative. Isaiah, and I love this because Isaiah says, this is the word of the Lord, it says, Hear, O heavens. So I'm talking to the, the cosmic powers there, the solar realm, spiritual realm. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. Why? For the Lord God has spoken. Hmm. The Lord has spoken. You know, maybe it's just me, but you know when you read, especially Genesis and Exodus, and you hear that God says this or God says that and God spoke to Moses or whatever, you're thinking, that's God speaking. It's God speaking. You hear in Isaiah and it says, you know, it's the first, it's opening here and it says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Wow. You know, when the Lord speaks, you better get up and listen. You know, he spoke the world into existence and it's still here. He says in his word that it's not going to return unto him void and we're going to get into that. The Bible is sufficient. So we're looking and we're saying it's infallible and it's total, inerrant in its parts, it's complete and it's authoritative. And now we see that the Bible is sufficient. Sufficient for what? It's sufficient to make us complete. Yeah, it's just, it's just sufficient, for, sufficient for your spirit, spirit man, isn't it? No, it's sufficient for you spirit, soul and body. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, his word is sufficient for these things. The Bible is effective. Which means, again, when it speaks, things happen. Isaiah 55, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So the word of God, the Bible is effective. It is divine. Second Peter chapter 1, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. It wasn't like a group of guys that said, oh yeah, let's just put this thing together. And why would they? Because, you know, if you're going to write something about yourself, you're not going to put all the horrible bits and the things which make you look bad. You'll put all the good things in there. you make yourself look good. 
But these guys, they put warts and all. Warts and all. They show it all. They put it all out and say, oh me. Look at me. It's of no private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man. You know, these guys didn't just say, yeah, let's just sort of like, yeah, do a good book. Never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So you see, the Bible you have in your hand, divine words, God-breathed words, words which for centuries people fought so that you could have a copy of that Bible in your hand today. The Bible, God's word. And the Bible, this should be the eighth thing, is determinative. Which means that whatever somebody does with the Bible will eventually determine where they will spend eternity. It puts everybody in a bracket. There's no middle ground. You're either for me or against me. But I want to be in the middle ground. It wasn't my fault that Adam sinned. Well, yeah, I hear you, but it was your fault because you was practically there in the garden with him because you came from Adam. But even though you don't think it's fair, you're either for the Lord or against the Lord. No middle ground. So make a decision. I'll tell you what. I present you to you this day life and death. Choose life. I'll tell you what to do. Choose life. It's the better option. But as you and I know, we see a world just happy to go to hell. Thinking it's just a game. And life is not a game. You know, the Lord has placed eternity in our hearts. Whether we like it or not, we are eternal beings. Our nature may change, but we remain spirit beings. You know, I don't know too much about these things, but can you totally destroy something? You know, if I have a fire and I start burning wood, okay, it's no longer wood. But it still remains something. It's still atoms and molecules. It's still something. It doesn't become nothing. It changes, but it's still something. And we have to realize that these earthly bodies will change. But we still remain real. And that's a heavy thought. And so... When we look at the Bible, when we come and we handle the scriptures, we have to know that we're handling something which is all of these things. It's God's word. We need to be skillful with how we handle it, defensively and offensively. And so, you know, the Apostle Paul, he describes this armor. You know, something which we can visually look at, think about, and apply, appropriate. And... After describing all these things, you know, the last thing being the sword of the spirit. Paul's just heavy because he doesn't just stop there and says, all right, cool, get on with it now. He turns his attention and he he focuses on perhaps the most important thing of all, which isn't listed as being part of the armor. But I think, you know, 
You could put it there. It encompasses the whole armor in my mind. In the sense that he says that as we appropriate it, it's like we're appropriating all these different items with prayer. That's what he says in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so, as I said, Paul writes this in the sense that as we're appropriating these different items of the armor, it's like we're appropriating them with prayer. Praying always. It's like prayer in so many ways is like the atmosphere in which we appropriate these things, if you can consider it that way. It's like prayer in so many ways becomes the oxygen we breathe. The book of Ephesians, you know, as we've been considering these things for quite a number of weeks now, you see, it starts with Paul telling us our position in Christ Jesus, how we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. So in so many ways, the book starts in the heavenlies. It starts with our elevated position, which is true. But now, Paul says, all right, look, I've told you all there is to know, but now I want you to be balanced. And and the reality is this, is that even though it starts in the heavenlies, You need to be on your knees as a believer. You need to have a lifestyle of prayer. You see, prayer needs to be the thing that galvanizes the armor, that infuses the armor. Prayer. And in verse 18, what Paul basically does is he gives us this general instruction, um, you know, of of how we should be praying, praying as believers. And he uses the repetition of all within verse 18. And as I've said many a times, that when you see a, re- a word repeated within the scriptures, you know, the, the writer is trying to get your attention. He's trying to say, listen to what I'm saying here. And so he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So with the first all, he's saying how, you know, God expects us as soldiers with this armor on to always be praying. To have a lifestyle of prayer. You know, the Jews, they had set times during the day in which they would pray. But as we come through into the New Testament, we see that we don't have these set times to pray. We are encouraged to pray always. Luke 18, Luke 21, Acts chapter 6. All alludes to this fact. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. How'd you do that? Pray without ceasing. Will you have time to do anything else? James chapter 5 
a beautiful verse. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Listen to those words. The effective, fervent. Now that, this isn't like once on a Tuesday. That's a lifestyle of prayer here. It's having this attitude of living our lives with this, if you can hear it, this complete consciousness of God. This kind of like complete communion with God. Now, you're saying, well, that's, that's not possible, is it? But it's written in the sense that everything we do, every experience we have in life is an opportunity to pray. Is an opportunity to commune with God. So when the, de- when, the, when the devil comes knocking on your door and he starts saying, yeah, I'm going to tempt you with this, I'm going to tempt you with that. Our response should be to immediately pray. And say, Lord, Lord, I'm struggling with this thing in my life. It's like the enemy's attacking me, however you say it. Lord, I'm struggling. And Lord, you know, I need your strength, Lord. And the Lord promises that if we ask him for bread, he's not going to give us a stone. Maybe he, might, he, maybe he might say, what does my word say about that? I don't feel like I'm strong enough, Lord. Yeah, but my Bible says that you can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens you? Yeah, but Lord, it's like I'm just... uh, What does my word say about it? And see, the fact is, you know, again, myself included, I'm not trying to say I'm anything more than what you guys, but when it comes to these things, we get lazy. We don't want to apply the word. We don't want to commit it to prayer. We feel like, oh, well, that's something I think I can handle. I don't really need to, like, turn to the word and, you know, because that's long. That's hard work. But that's where you're going to get victory. That's where I'm going to get victory, in God's word. And so we pray to the Lord in those situations for his strength and his power to overcome the temptation. You know, equally, you know, you wake up in the morning, sun shining through your windows. I haven't got a song. <laughs> the birds are tweeting. <laughs> but the day's beautiful. And you think to yourself, Lord, what a glorious day. Again, another opportunity to pray. Another opportunity to look and think, you know what, Lord, thank you. It's, 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 it's wonderful just to enjoy your creation it's wonderful to enjoy life it's beautiful when when i became a christian the sky looks bluer i I actually started to hear those birds tweeting i started appreciating little things which i just took for granted before i like what looking at flowers and things like that i like going for walks in the forest and looking and thinking man god created this stuff that's heavy You see, it's not saying that your lifestyle of prayer now is like you just got to be on bended knee next to your bed, 247. No, it's saying that your lifestyle, as you go about your daily business, as you do the dishes, as you walk the dog, as you go for a jog, as you're driving your car, as you're going on the school run, it's an opportunity just to speak to the Lord. 
You know, we tell children in, in, in Sunday school all the time, you know, what is prayer? It's talking to God. But then we become adults and we make it this complicated thing. It has to be done in this set way. And, you know, it has to be done at this set time. No. It's communion with God. Speaking with God. Letting him know everything that's going on in your world. And so we give God thanks. You see, it's just having this different attitude towards prayer. It's, it's thinking on things which are above. It's having just that mindset of God. And I often say that, you know, if you aim for nothing, you're sure to hit nothing. But if you at least aim to start cultivating a lifestyle of prayer, which just becomes part of who you are, it's there's no, sure that you're going to get there. There's a book, I think, Brother Lawrence, Practicing the Presence of God. Great book. And so it goes on to say, with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And again, all prayer and supplication in the spirit. You know, again, it's the, the, the hallmark of a believer is that they pray. With all prayer. So that means, you know, general prayers, specific prayers, public prayers, private prayers, prayers by your, by your bedside, on bended knee, in your prayer closet, verbal prayers, prayers, prayers meditating in your heart. Meditating in your mind. All these different prayers. Spontaneous prayers. Deliberate prayers. Maybe some of you may even pray in tongues. Pray in the spirit. Praying. Prayers of confession. Confessing our thoughts one to another. That's what the scripture encourages. Because there's release in it. We don't want to do it. We don't want to expose ourselves. But the Bible says, you know, if we confess ourselves to one another, there's actually freedom there. And prayers of praise and thanksgiving. Lord, it's not sunny today, but thank you for a glorious day. I'm grateful for it. And, you know, just being open to be inspired by the Holy Spirit as we pray. And when we pray, you know, our prayers shouldn't just be about me, 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 me. You know, praying for others. Praying just past just the physical, normal things which we all pray for and there's nothing wrong with them. But going beyond that, going beyond just praying for our accommodation, employment, health needs are good. But going beyond that, going in and praying about, Lord, you know, spiritually, you know, I know, you, you know, you you don't want anyone to perish. And I was speaking to this person, Lord, I just prayed for an opportunity so I can share the gospel with them so that salvation will come to them. Deeper things. And you see, the sad thing about prayer is that most of us only really pray when we've got drama going on in our lives. That, you know, something's, and it's like, oh man, I better start praying. Now, what should have happened was you should have been praying so that you would have been ready when this thing came upon you. You know, that's exactly what, what Jesus said. 
you know, because it goes on to say, being watchful to this end. And that's what Jesus said to his disciples, didn't he? He says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And that's where we get that wonderful verse, which many of us take out of context, where it says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But if you were watching and praying, what's the reverse? Right. You see? Being watchful, being prayerful. Mark chapter 13 says, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know what the time is. See, we get this consistent advice from the Lord himself to say, be watchful, be prayerful. You know, he spoke, he spoke a parable, I think it's in Luke 15 or 16, where it says that, that all men should always pray. All men ought to always pray. And, you know, the scary one, Luke 21, watch therefore. And pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Being watchful, being prayerful. And in terms of all, with all perseverance and supplication, it just means keep praying, keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. You may not get an answer to your prayer first time around, 50th time around, 100th time around, but you keep praying, you keep asking. And we pray, as I said before, for all the saints. Because, you know, Paul has taken time throughout this whole epistle to say that, you know, God has made us one. One new man, one body, one spirit, you know. He's made us all one out of Jew and Gentile. And so he says, pray for all the saints. So in our prayers, praying for those deeper things, you know, praying for those on the mission field. Praying for those who are being persecuted. Praying for those who are teaching the scriptures faithfully. Because there's many out on road who are not teaching the scriptures faithfully. Pray for those who are trying to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. Prayer. Very, very important. Now, I know I've taken a long time, but if five more minutes. So Paul's spoken about the importance of prayer. And I just really want to catch your attention for this last landing of this aeroplane, as it were. He's spoken about the importance of prayer as having the armor of God, of appropriating it, and having this lifestyle of prayer. And he starts closing this letter now, and we see that, again, he's not being self-centered. He's not asking them to start praying for him and praying that he would get out of prison or anything. He's asking them that he would have opportunities to share the gospel effectively in the situation that he was in because Paul saw a bigger picture. And in closing, that's what I want us to do. Let's look at a bigger picture, if we can. Paul was always concerned with the needs of others. And looking at this bigger picture and looking how he closes this letter, it just 
reminded me of what he said in chapter 3. And when I, I don't know if you remember, but when we was in chapter 3, there was a portion in chapter 3 which just rocks my world. It spoke volumes to me. And in so many ways, it, for me, it just became the purpose, the heart of this epistle. Now, so what I'm going to try and do, as, as I've said, that not taking anything from the word and adding to it, but I'm just going to try and merge, if I may, different portions of Ephesians so it just makes a little bit of sense for me. And I hope it makes sense for you. Okay. So in verse 19, Paul says, And for me, the utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel. See, he's not thinking about himself and what, getting out. He wants to make known the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. Hold on to that. For which I am an ambassador in chains. That in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, can we back up to chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Where he says, I became a minister... According to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And we've all become ministers of the grace given to us by God, by the effective working of his power. Amen? Right. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints. Well, Paul, I consider myself to be less than the the least of all the saints. So we can have an argument about it. But... To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Why? To the intent, see this is what gets me, to the intent that now, when, now, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. To who? To the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're called for a purpose. To the intent that now you, me, us, the church, may make something known to who? Principalities of powers. That's the whole point of this armour. It's not just for you to look good in the spiritual realm. God's using us. You may not think your life consists of anything, but he's using you. He's using me. He's using Calvary Chapel, South London. Spiritually, I don't know how it's used. But he's using it to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God may be known by the church to the principalities and powers In heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. God always intended for us to be used somehow to glorify his name. To look at those principalities and say, 
to Satan. We looked at him, he used to go before the fiery furnace of God. And he wanted, I will ascend into the heavens. And he says, no, you're not. But you know what? I'm going to weak, use weak little man to show to you, spiritual being, that I'm God and I'm a bad boy. Deep. For me anyway. You see, I got excited. You see, God wants us to appropriate this armor to go into warfare so he will just big himself up. And he's got every right to big himself up because he's God. And so we do these things, you know, with a lifestyle of appropriating armor, of a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of saying, I'm not dependent on me. You know, not like Adam and Eve. I don't want to do my own thing, Lord. I want to do your thing. And so, Paul goes on in chapter 3 to say, in whom, in Christ, we have boldness. And access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is for your glory. See, I see similar language in chapter 3 to the end of chapter 6. And now and, and at the end of chapter 6, verse 21, he says, But that you may also know my affairs and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. See, he's going to send Tychicus, who is mentioned five times within the New Testament, who is a faithful brother. He's going to, he'll come and explain to you what, exactly what's going on with me. But you just pray that I get these opportunities with all these guards which keep being chained to me so I can speak the gospel to them. And so as he does this, as he closes this letter, you know, he ends this wonderful epistle, this deep epistle. I don't even think we really touched the surface. This wonderful epistle, he ends it with a benediction, which, you know, I don't think it's worth adding to. And so he ends with verse 23 and 24. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this letter is coming to you, not just from Paul, it's coming to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And he ends with the words, Amen. So be it. And that's how we should end as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful epistle to the Ephesians, Lord. Ephesians, and how it has just blessed us, Lord Jesus. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we can use it, Lord, as a springboard. We can use it so that we can grow and we can just develop as a family, Lord, as a body, as an army, as your bride. And Lord Jesus, that, you know, we could be light, Lord Jesus, that we could walk in wisdom, walk in love, all these wonderful things you say that we should do, Lord, that we should do all these things in your power, in your might, in your strength. So help us, Lord Jesus, because 
we know that sometimes the battle gets fierce and it gets long. And you say in your word that you'd never leave us nor forsake us, Lord. And so, Lord, as we trust you in these things and we believe you for these things, even if some, Lord, find it hard to believe you in these things, Lord, your word says, you know, that you could even help us in our unbelief. So, Lord Jesus, um, let all the glory be to your name, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity again and just pray that it really, Lord, just um, benefit us as a whole. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.